With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 112th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. Thank you to all my listeners everywhere in the world. I sincerely appreciate you in all of the now at least 78 countries where I see you're located. Thank you for sending all your messages. Please keep them coming. I got so many great messages after my May uh, episode where I just answered listener questions. So I love those. Keep them coming. My June Privacy Professor Tips message was published at the beginning of June. Sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com or privacysecuritybrainiacs.com and submitting your email in the box on your screen. They're free, as they've always been since 2005. Now on to our topic for today. New research found that in 2022, 61% of identity theft victims were victims of the Google Voice scam. The FBI recently reported that in 2022 in the U.S., there were 870 ransomware attacks against organizations in the 14 critical infrastructure sectors. And worldwide, the most common type of cybercrime reported was phishing. I mean, by far it was the most common. It affected more than 300,000 individuals worldwide. The next closest type of cybercrime was personal data breaches, and that had just under 59,000 individuals impacted. And I could go on and on with all these different types of examples of the types of cybersecurity and privacy problems going on, but ultimately in any type of security incident and privacy breach, there has been a risk that has been exploited through a vulnerability that was compromised and or a threat that succeeded. Now, in our personal lives, this is the case, and this is the case within organizations as well. Risks must be managed by everyone. Each of us, and I know I have a lot of folks out there 
who are students in high school and college, so this applies to you. I know I have a lot of others who just like to listen and keep up with things in the general public. This belongs, you know, applies to you, each of us. Today, we are talking about how to manage and mitigate information security, IT security, and privacy risks in our lives, at work, and away from work. And I am thrilled to have as my guest today, Ron Werner, a noted international consultant, keynote speaker, teacher, blogger, and writer in the privacy and cybersecurity industry. Ron is regarded as an international thought leader in security, compliance, privacy, and keeping yourself safe online. Ron's a frequent keynote speaker and has spoken at TEDx Omaha, the RSA conference, I think several times, and many other events. See much more about Ron in his bio on my data security and privacy show page on the Voice America website. Ron, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Well, hello, Rebecca. It is outstanding to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you, and I have something that I want to try. So for the (laughs) listeners, I've known Ron for several years now, I think, and I can't even remember. It seems like I've known you forever. I know you like to try new things and like to have fun with learning about security and privacy. So today I'm trying something new. Now, I love game shows. I've watched two of them consistently since I was in grade school. So I've got this first time I'm doing a, a concept game show. I'm calling it for now. Name one thing to mitigate that risk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's a long that's a long title, I know. <laughs> hey, it's the pilot, right? So this will be applicable to individuals and to organizations. So, Ron, what I'm gonna do, I'll provide you with a recent security and or privacy incident, mm-hmm. and then say, name one thing to mitigate that risk, and then I want you to give the first action that pops up into your head for how you would mitigate the risk for that type of incident. And it just needs to be a sentence or two. We can revisit those risks later on if you want when we, you know, are having our discussion uh, after this exciting new game show. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to give you two different ones. Okay. So, uh, and keep in mind, each of these could happen to individuals in their personal life as well as businesses. So here we go. Number one, here's the first one. So in the UK, an IT security worker was part of the team that was investigating a ransomware attack, but unknown to anyone else, he altered the original Cyber Crooks ransom email address to one that he created to change the payment address provided by the ransomware, ransomware criminal attacker. Now, police said the IT security worker did it so that any ransom payment made by his employer would be made to him instead of the cyber cracks. So an example of an insider 
threat risk. So Ron Werner, name one thing to <laughs> mitigate that risk. So I have to go with zero trust. It's what I do all day, but it's continual verification. Never just assume one person should have all of the rights to do everything. It's that compounding risk. So zero trust. Okay. I like that answer. We can revisit that after we uh, get into our discussion. And I know that's a term that probably may be new to some of our listeners, but I love it. Okay. So now on to the second situation. Here's the second one. This uh, took place in Saskatchewan, Canada. The Privacy Commissioner's Office received a call from Crown Shred and Recycling in Prince Albert. And they were notifying them that medical records had been found mixed in with the regular recycling materials. Now, while investigating at the recycling center, more than 55, more than 55 bankers boxes full of health records entered the facility. And upon investigation, it was learned that the health records came from one physician's office, which when uh, contacted, they said, the folks that worked there said, well, you know, we would usually shred these, but there was not enough room on the truck that day. So the (laughs) office workers put all those boxes with over 100 patient records into the dumpster behind their clinic, which was in a public area. The office worker stated that they thought all the items put into the dumpster would be shredded. (laughs) So there's many risks here. So Ron Warner, name one thing to mitigate that risk. Comes back to making it personal. Like you said earlier, Rebecca, security, data privacy is everybody's job. We need to protect ourselves, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our community. Excellent. Like that. And that's another one we can come back to later. So there it is, folks. My first pilot of our game show. How did you like that, Ron? That's fun. Yes, it's uh, definitely real world scenarios can happen anywhere to anyone, anytime. Yes. And and it gets us into my first question to you then that's not part of the game show. (laughs) So when we're talking about risk management, I'm curious, what is your personal view about risk management and how it impacts us at, you know, work as well as away from work? The idea is to make decisions about risks. We can't live without them. It's a part of life. Some people will say we need frictionless security. What does that mean? That'd be like having frictionless cars. You can't go anywhere. I mean, why do we have brakes on a car, Rebecca? Some people will say to stop. I say it's to go fast. Same idea with risks. It's to allow us to go as fast as we can, as manageable as we can. That's great. And you know, Um, looking back on my life and how I grew up, I grew up, I was born and raised on a farm in rural Missouri and moved when I became an adult up to Iowa to a farm. So I've been farming all my life and Ron, I've recognized throughout my digital career that risk management is very much like, you know, similar in many ways to the risks that we were managing when we were farming, because we always had to be aware of small details that were going on uh, with equipment, with the weather, with, uh, you know, application of chemicals and all sorts of things. So 
you know, it, it really does apply everywhere. Right. Yeah. It's that attention to detail is so yes. important. The little things will come back to bite you. So I have a little saying, if I could share, um, yes. CYA, and it's not the traditional CYA, <laughs> challenge your assumptions. Mm. We'll make an assumption like, oh, I'm assuming my dumpster company will just shred our documents. And no, yeah, double check those. What are Where are they coming from? And that's the basis for risk management is just identifying, first of all, and then making a decision about it and being informed. I love that example because assumptions are you, I mean, it seems like in at least half of the incidents that I've been involved with helping my clients with, it seemed like there were, were always assumptions that were incorrect. Mm-hmm. And I see that all the time. I do a lot of work with the IoT you know, IOT security and privacy with app security and privacy. And one of the assumptions that um, the folks using those often have is that they, they just assume that those are secured by default. That, yes. And they tell me even, why would, they, why would vendors sell us something or app providers provide us something that's not secured? I mean, we just assume that it is. <laughs> Because they want something that's functional, that's usable. That's what makes them money. Security is an additional burden for so many, particularly those who are just trying to get product out quickly. So, But it takes that due diligence, if you will. And with the new areas of technology, that's where we're seeing it. They try to get the product out as quickly as they can, get it right into the consumer's hands. They'll worry about the security stuff later. That's, you know, like trying to secure the barn, you know, after the cows have all gotten out, if you will. You know, putting locks on the door after everything's left. It's like, no, you have to build it in. You have to build it in, exactly. And you can't assume that it's there, which kind of brings me to another question about, you know, just understanding risk management. Because I think for for non-security and non-IT folks, because a lot of I mean, in general, I think most of the public understand one type of risk management is putting your seatbelt on when you get in your car, right, to make mm-hmm. sure that, you say, that you're that you safe. So how else would you explain risk management in the digital lives uh, and information handling lives of non-security and non-IT folks? Risk management is the same whether in the cyber world or the real world, Rebecca. It comes back to understanding impacts, likelihood or frequency of occurrence, and then the cost associated with it. Seatbelts are a great example. Impact of a car collision could be loss of life. Mm-hmm. Likelihood. Well, we always think, oh, I'm a safe driver, but what about all the other crazy drivers on the road or just something can happen to any of us? What's the cost of clicking your seatbelt? About three seconds, if that. Most of us, it's just rote memory at this point. We don't even think about it. So the cost is very little compared to potential impact. Same idea in the cyber world, you know, making sure you're using a long and strong password, Compared to if someone gains access to your account and impersonates you, sends you ransomware, or double-checking a phishing email, only takes a few seconds. This may save you a lot of headaches later on. Yes, and not only headaches, but um, money. So your money, you don't lose money or even uh, physical harm because with 
a lot of the types of devices we have now, mm-hmm. like trackers, um, somebody could yes. be tracking you and finding yes. you. And Ron, you know, something that's kind of disturbed me over, well, I shouldn't say disturbed, maybe disappointed mm-hmm. is a little bit better <laughs> word. Okay. Less harsh. But um, I work with a lot of healthcare folks, uh, mm-hmm. covered entities and business associates, and I'm still so disappointed that so many um, covered entities, especially providers in small offices, have done nothing, have done nothing right. with HIPAA. And I had <laughs> literally in the past year, I've had two different small clinics get in touch with me because they had to. I guess somebody finally told them, hey, you need to be compliant with HIPAA. But here's what they told me. They said, we don't care about security and <sighs> privacy. So, you know, we want to be able to, we want to get in compliance. Mm-hmm. And then they told, after I told them what I could do, they, they said, oh, well, we thought you could do all of it for 200 bucks. <laughs> both of them. And it's like 200 bucks. Are you, <laughs> you know, right. I, I want to help you, but come on, I'm trying to make a living here. So, yeah. you know, isn't that sad that, uh, they don't realize the link between security and privacy to their patients because, and I've given lectures about this, mm-hmm. you know, if patient data is inaccurate because it was changed by someone in those yes. files, you could, you could harm or even kill your patient. I mean, do yes. you find that type of attitude as well with your clients? Oh, Definitely, yes, where it's the assumption, again, back to the assumptions uh, that yeah, someone else will take care of it or that nothing will ever bad. You know, we're just a small physician's clinic. No one will ever want to go after us, but it's our friends and our neighbors often who are the ones being cared for. And that's where making it personal, showing that it's the well-being of, I mean, that's why we go to our physicians for our well-being, physical well-being, but it could be mental well-being. Someone who has to go through the stress of identity theft or disclosure of maybe a health condition they don't want disclosed, that is a stressful event that has negative consequences on a person's health, which goes against the Hippocratic Oath, right? Mm -hmm. So, my recommendation is making it personal that we want to protect the whole being of who we're working with, our clients, whether it's a person at the clinic or one of my larger federal clients. It all comes back to let's be here for protecting people. Yes, it, it truly does protect people. And risk management, I mean, it, there's everything that I learned, and, and I've been in the field a long time, and I know you mm-hmm. have too. And everything about risk management is still the same. The concepts, the concepts are still the same. Oh, yeah. Even as technology has emerged, we still have fax machines and we still have, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of old legacy information, you know, yes. systems. So what has been the most significant change in risk management that you've noticed uh, since you started your your career? Well, since now, everybody has technology at their fingertips. I mean, on their bodies, if you have a smartwatch, we have smartphones around us. So we're all now part of the cyber realm. So we have this vested interest in our own protection and the protection of others. So I think that's really raising awareness. A lot of the 
the younger generation today, they are being taught how to protect themselves better online. They're aware of the different types of predators, the different types of threats, as you mentioned earlier, the different types of scams. And it's really can be quite simple to prevent a lot of them. It's just question. Ask a question. Is this right? Trust your spidey senses a little. Um, I like your point too, Rebecca. A lot of the concepts behind cybersecurity have been around well over 50 years. We have new technology around it, but they all come back to the same concepts and philosophies we've been talking about since we've known each other. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You know, something else too about risk management that I look back on, and when I started in security, it it wasn't about protecting personal data because there were no laws back then. Right. There was no internet back then. Mm-hmm. And it was about protecting intellectual property for the mm-hmm. organization. It was about availability of yes. the systems of the mainframe, about integrity, the accuracy of data. And I don't know if you've noticed this too, but it seems like in the last... 10, maybe 15 years, those things are still so important. But when I like go to events and so on, a lot of times uh, the folks I'm talking to who are, are, you know, fairly new to the Mm -hmm. field, they're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that before. So I guess it's kind of, you know, one of those things where we can't, in risk management, now it seems like almost, there's almost all emphasis on personal data as being the main driver, whereas, you know, there's so much more beyond personal data that's that needs to be accounted for within security. Oh, yeah. Well, it's personal data. It's that corporate uh, confidential type of data. It's the availability of the systems, the applications, as you mentioned. You know, if that doctor is dependent on that, you know, being able to connect to a pharmacy right away or consult Mm -hmm. with another doctor over a patient and that patient is at a critical status. Now, you know, that is all part of the whole security architecture. We call it CIA. I know you know this, but for your listeners, confidentiality, integrity, availability, all of that plays a part. Privacy is mostly focused on the confidentiality aspect, though. Well, security will look at all three areas. It's interesting about that availability. And I know you're out on on LinkedIn, and so am I. And a lot of times, I just kind of monitor. I don't, I don't have a lot of time. I usually look at it at night, but I, I dip in and out of groups. And it's so mm-hmm. interesting to see where there's questions by security professionals saying, "Well, availability, that's that's not any that has <laughs> nothing to do with privacy. It has nothing to do with security." And I read that, and I think, "Oh my goodness." They're, <laughs> yeah, they're interrelated, Rebecca. Yes. Oh, they're very interrelated. I mean, especially when so many of the privacy regulations require that you give access to personal data within a certain amount of time. Well, if that availability has gone, you're going to face some bad things. Um, When we talk about zero trust, I'll talk more about just-in-time, just-enough access control. So having just the level of access you need at that time when you need it. And then it goes away. You know, it's like the one person you mentioned uh, across the seas where they were able to corrupt the ransomware attack, put in their own email. Yes. Yes. 
they escalated their own privilege. They were an administrator. They gave themselves more rights than they needed to, which then is the danger. But yes, it impacts confidentiality, integrity, and availability all need to be considered as part of the whole equation. And back to that example, um, you know, separation of duties, I don't Mm -hmm. see that discussed enough Mm. uh, at events or online anymore, but that's so important. And as soon as I read about that incident, I thought, where's the separation of duties here? (laughs) You know, one person can't have all access. Now that's hard in a small organization, but still uh, it's necessary in some way. Well, we will say who's watching the watchman. Yes. Who is auditing the auditors? Who's keeping an eye on those administrators? Sometimes the challenge I'll see, Rebecca, is the administrators, the system network or application administrators, they always want to have always on administrator access, mm-hmm. which is very dangerous because mistakes are also a common problem in cybersecurity. There are a high percentage, you know, 20 to 30 percent of all known incidents are due to human error. Mm-hmm. So I tell people, keep yourself off the suspect list. If you don't have access, you can't get in trouble if something goes wrong. Actually comes back to something known as Cressy's Fraud Triangle. Takes three things to commit fraud. Access, intent, and knowledge. So, or motivation is part of it as well. So keeping your access minimal keeps you out of trouble. Yes, that minimization is so important in so many ways too, right? Minimum mm-hmm. capabilities, minimum access and, and everything else mm-hmm. uh, to as few information items as possible. Uh, I know you've talked about zero trust. We have a, a break coming up here soon, but I guess just for like one minute before we go to break, what can you tease the listeners with, with what you are talking about with zero trust? It seems inevitable that we're going to be breached. Someone's going to hack us. So the idea with zero trust, assume a breach. You limit the blast radius. You limit the damage that can be done. So this way, if something bad happens, it happens in a very small, very controlled area. The rest of the infrastructure is safe. Perfect. Well, hopefully that uh, is teasing your interest, (laughs) listeners, today, because we're going to get into that um, in much more depth here in a few minutes. But right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today I'm discussing risk management with cybersecurity and privacy expert Ron Werner. I'm your host, Rebecca Harrell, the Privacy Professor. Contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, I'm discussing risk management with cybersecurity and privacy expert, Ron Werner. So, Ron, we, you teased the, the listeners a little bit with zero trust before we went to break. And how would people put zero trust to work Let's start in their home lives because, mm-hmm. you know, so many people now have home offices and even if they don't have home offices, most people have Wi-Fi networks at home and all sorts of computing devices. So how if you were uh, giving advice to someone how to apply zero trust to their personal lives, what would you tell them? So, Rebecca, do you give your house key just to anybody who asks for it? You know me, so no. <laughs> of <course> not. <laughs> None of us would. Right. Think about how we can do that or we leave our house key just readily available for anybody. The idea is protecting that key. That's what zero trust is in a nutshell. Knowing who has access to your stuff starts by understanding what are those crown jewels. Now, of course, we don't have crown jewels, but we do have our own important systems, important papers, important valuables. Whatever is important to us. Well, it's classifying and categorizing that, putting them in a safe location, you know, in a lockbox, if you will, or a safe, limiting who can access that safe, limiting who can get to the room where that safe is located, limiting who can get into your house. All of those are part of the defense in depth. But zero trust is more than that. It's continually understanding who can gain access. Many people now have cameras around their homes. When was the last time you checked to make sure your camera was working, making sure that you knew who could gain or who may be scoping out your house to try to break in? A lot of times we have a lot of advanced warning, whether when someone's trying to break into our computer systems or trying to cause us harm. So it's just that 
continual verification is all part of zero trust. And it is more than just a buzzword for those who may not be familiar with it. Take this as an opportunity. Educate yourself about the different cybersecurity and privacy buzzwords. Yes. And if folks do just, a, you know, one or two things even a day, bingo, it, it won't take much time. I think when people get frustrated about trying to do security, I think oftentimes it's because they're trying to, they decide, oh, well, I'm going to get myself secure this weekend. <laughs> and they try to do everything, you know, mm-hmm. in one day. Or, and they're like, oh, this is too much. Um, but if you just do a little bit every well, day, stay aware. It, it's spring as we're recording this. So what do you do in the spring around your house? Spring cleaning. You look at the old clothes you haven't touched in over a year or two. You get rid of them, right? We can do the same thing, but it's just, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do I clean out my closet? Yeah. If I can just get rid of a few old shirts at a time over the course of time, I'll have a nice clean closet. So taking those little steps, do the same thing on your cyber systems. Are there applications you don't use? If you don't use them, get rid of them because they could be a way into your computer system. Are there, you know, is there a login ID, you know, a website you don't use anymore? Then remove your access to it because, again, that could be a way for others to gain access. The idea in cybersecurity, we'll call it, you'll hear two terms, either an attack surface. This is the whole area where someone can attack you. Smaller, though, and easier is the protect surface. What do you need to protect? And that's why identifying what's most important to you, we call them crown jewels, and then protecting those and making sure they are have that adequate level of security comes back to risks. What are the risks? Thinking about how do we protect against those risks and just taking a few minutes to go through the thought process. I think doing that thought process is a very good, very good advice because once you start thinking about risk, I think it truly does become just part of how you think. Yes. Because I, I, I anticipate, you know, you're probably very similar to me with this. Uh, every day I do risk assessment in very small ways every day when I'm <laughs> doing anything that not only involves data, but also just anything else, right? With yeah. the house safety and everything. So, Well, uh, it is part of how we operate and getting into how our brains work with risk. Yeah. You know, we have the fast brain, which is just the quick risk assessment, you know, is this safe or not? And then we have the slower, more thoughtful brain where we begin to say, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Who could, how could I be harmed here? Really, it's moving from the fast brain to the slow brain, like with fishing. Let's use that as an example. Yes. Hey, uh, Rebecca, I just got an email from the IRS saying I didn't pay my 2022 taxes, and it said I needed to pay through a, you know, a, a gift card. You know, what do you think? Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, that's very unusual, Ron, because the IRS usually isn't into gift cards. No, <laughs> and the FBI is not going to send you an email. Yeah. They will come to your door. Um, I know the FBI agents in where you live and yes. the same ones where I live, too. Uh-huh. Um, they cover the same area, but they'll come to your door wearing very nice suits, very professional. Um 
The simple act there, though, of asking someone else when something doesn't seem right takes it from the fast brain to the slow brain. Breathe. Let oxygen you know, into your head. That for some reason, our brain's like oxygen. Go figure. Anyway, <laughs> that is actually a very good incident response process as well and mm-hmm. gets into the risk management. What is the, the likelihood that this link could be bad? What's the worst that could happen? The impact associated with it. You know, it's just as simple as that. Yes. And you know what kind of bugs me, too? Um, it bugs me when I see security pros giving blanket advice for different security because mm-hmm. every situation is different. So here's mm-hmm. here's kind of the example I like with uh, password management. I hate when I see people just do an outright dismissal of, oh, don't write down your passwords. That's terrible. <laughs> That's horrible. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, no, it depends on your, your situation. Like yeah. where I am at, I live in my home. Uh, no one else comes into my office on the third floor. I have an actual locking safe. I have a hundred pound Doberman. I have security cameras. Actually, I trust writing my passwords down in mm-hmm. my my book and keeping it locked in my safe because I nobody can get to it unless they get through all those layers. Look at the password vaults that mm-hmm. have been compromised. Yes. There there is much greater risk between that and and my situation, which I think my situation is probably similar to many folks listening who also don't have a lot of people coming into their home and into their office area. Now, if you're at work, no, don't write down your password and stick it on a note underneath your keyboard. That is a bad practice. It it depends on context. You hit the right words. It depends. And now I know you're not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. That's a typical attorney answer. You know, anyway, (laughs) it does depend on the situation. Like I asked my mom, make sure you have your passwords written down. Why? Because she's in her 90s. If something happens to her, I need to get access to her accounts quickly. So this way, you know, if she changes her password, she knows to make sure that they're where I can get to them. So if I need to, I can be her. Now, I do have power of attorney. And that's the key. It becomes personal with there. So, Rebecca, my access policy is really pretty simple. You are responsible for your access. If you want to write down your passwords, if you want to share your password, yeah, not always the best practice, but you theoretically could because then it's on you. If something happens, that person will be you. So protect yourself. Be aware of where you may have them written down and protect them appropriately. Yeah, and I, I might add just a clarifier there, too, to our <laughs> listeners. That's pretty much in your personal life. If you're at work. You know, follow your policies and don't yes. passwords yes. Uh, for sure. But um, yes, I mean, it. Think about what works best for you because I know these definitive statements about mm-hmm. a topic without any context being considered. You know, security pros, you guys out there, you need to realize you can't do that. And also, let's stop saying you need to get zero risk. I mean, right. zero trust is not the same as zero risk, is it, Ryan? No. Well, we'll never take everything down to, well, we can't live without risk. There's always, I mean, right. 
it's it's all part of life it's managing that risk understanding it again classifying it it does take that thought process and understanding making the decision and that's sometimes the frustrating part is that cybersecurity professionals we see risks other people don't and then we'll have what i call a pet risk you know it's kind of like a pet peeve or a pet rock you know you just see something bad and you just always think you well it becomes confirmational bias you're seeing mm-hmm. it everywhere. This is where reading a lot of journals, talking to other experts, defining how could that risk be realized. Looking at, we call it a threat vector. So how could a threat, something that can cause harm, how would they cause harm? What would be the path they would have to take to cause harm? Like for me to get access to your passwords, I'd have to go find your house somewhere in Iowa, you know, being able to come up to it, get up to your third floor, past your Doberman, you know, past your, and I know you have two boys who are probably jihugic at this point. Yes. So good luck getting past them. Um, So, you know, you've done your own risk assessment right there. And it's something all of us should do as part of our daily lives. Let me ask you a question, Rebecca. I'll often ask people this. Where's the best place to sit in an airplane? Sounds like a weird tangent. Yes. Well, my answer wouldn't be based on risk. It's like, oh, where, I, where I'm closest to the, the door. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You got it right. Yes. Some people say front, middle, back, you know, in the pilot seat. Um knowing where the door is this way when the airplane is filled with smoke can you find the door with your eyes shut and you can't hear anything just by sense of feel you know Mm -hmm. it's just going through what will the different scenarios what will i do if um that little thought process again saves a lot of headaches whether it's in an airplane in a car at home or anywhere in cyberspace i love it and you know here's a, a very current um, threat that I'm seeing. In fact, it happened to one of my uh, privacy friends in real life uh, with regard to doing risk management and thinking ahead. Um, it has to do with the use of AI to uh, train a audio to sound like someone else. So yes. it fills them. And this actually happened to a friend of mine. And as I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking, Everyone, not just in your personal lives, but at work. So at work is so important. Like people need to realize that this could happen and they need to think ahead and have some sort of of keyword or phrase that they can use with the person who's, you know, using that tool. Uh, to make sure that it's really who it is. And I, I, I realize that a lot of times they try to fool people with just a short clip. And then mm-hmm. they pass them off to another, you know, person that's going to actually collect all the data and all that. But what are your thoughts about those planning ahead and keywords and so? Well, really, this has not changed very much. I mean, AI, very big buzzword. There was just a national news story on TV recently where, yeah, being able to use deep fakes with voice or even mm-hmm. video to trick seniors, fraud, conducting fraud. Um, We've seen this, though, for a long time. It comes back to if you see something, say something. If something doesn't feel right, trusting your spidey senses and not being afraid to ask if something just seems off. You know, if someone like I tell my mom that 
always double check with me. Don't ever give out your bank information. Don't click on things, you know, just quick double check. Um, if you are in a management position, if someone's double checking with you, don't get upset with them, you know, thank them. I had uh, a student who was mad because they went to a big box store, bought a TV, and the credit card company called them and said, is this you buying the TV? And he's like, how dare they check me? And I'm like, it's protecting you Um, because they didn't know you were going to buy a TV at that point. So just having that that confirmation. And that's all how to manage risk using something like Zero Trust. It's the continual verification and allowing others to to verify as well. I love to a comment you made a minute or two back about asking questions. Something that I've seen is uh, typical for a lot of you know kids in, mm-hmm. in school, in college, but even young adults in their twenties, thirties, into their forties. They're afraid. They're afraid that they're going to look. Um, <laughs> dumb yep. or incompetent they're, yeah. they're afraid to ask questions and right. that's something it always ask questions i mean yeah. asking a question does not make you look dumb even if there's nope. some idiot close by that tries to make fun of you for asking a question that person <laughs> is the one that doesn't know what they're talking about. If they're going to try to call you a name for asking a question to make sure you're, you know, you're uh, secure and you're protecting your privacy. So a couple of thoughts there. One, ABC, always be curious. So if you are a student listening to this, you know, always ask questions. Your professor, Rebecca, so am I. I hate it when students say, professor, I have a question. You know, I have stupid question. I'm like, it's my bloody job to answer your questions. <laughs> yeah. Please ask. And seriously, 99.99% of the questions are all really good. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to take the small percent that maybe aren't, and I can redirect. Um, my daughter, when she was in high school, had a question, and she, we were talking, and I'm like, did you ask your teacher? No, I didn't want to be stupid. I'm like, Kat, you were born with my big mouth. Ask the question. <laughs> someone else will be glad you did, because someone else will probably have the same question. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a student who was getting gas, and they noticed there was a new card reader. You know, card skimming continues mm-hmm. to be a problem. So she went in and asked the attendant about it. And, of course, he kind of gave her a weird look. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, that extra 30 seconds you took may have just saved yourself from having credit card fraud. So double check. Don't worry what other people think. Ask questions, please. Uh, oh, it's- simple way. Anybody can do no matter and, and don't be afraid of what especially people who don't know you i mean that's yeah. one thing you know especially online mm-hmm. uh, people can make the the worst statements online and they do it because they're hiding behind anonymity you know they have yeah. some, and i don't care i mean i've had people tell me really horrible things before and it's like mm. you know you can say what you want to me because it reflects more badly upon you than it does upon me and i don't know you so i don't really care what you think yeah but um w- when it comes to back to security privacy yeah. so uh, there's a concept that i know you like to talk about 
and is an important topic, data-centric security. So yeah. how does that relate to what we've been talking about? Before, when I talked about those crown jewels, well, in this case, yeah. we're talking about what is your personally identifiable data, PII, or protected health information, PHI. What is that information that is most important to you, your family, yeah, your, your group that needs to be protected? Of course, it's your name associated with credit card numbers, driver's license number, social security number, you know, your financial information. So it's understanding that critical information and protecting it. Like we talked earlier, where you keep that in that locked safe, you can do that online. Um, it's also knowing where your data is going. I know this is very important for privacy. Um, recent where I work, uh, someone blogged on, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your data is? And I love that title because mm -hmm. so many of us don't know who we're giving our data to or where it's going. You know, we'll give our data away and not realize it, our privacy away, you know, for something trivial sometimes. You know, a candy bar to get your password was the, a common one from 10 years ago. Uh, still probably could work today. But it's just, you know, asking that question again. You want my data. Why do you need it? Let me give you an example. I went to a doctor's office once for an earache, ear infection, and they asked me for my social security number. And I didn't want to give it to them because they weren't hiring me. They wanted to do it to actually check my credit. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, I have insurance. And so I just said 888 -888 -888. You know, you don't need my social security number because that's if, you know, you're hiring me or you need it for social security reasons, not for health reasons. So, you know, it's taking a stand sometime and asking or that doctor's office asking them, what are you doing to protect my health information? I don't want it leaked anywhere because it's it could be very sensitive. Yes. And, you know, talking about data centric also not giving away data that's not necessary. So yes. uh, like on Facebook, I've belonged mm -hmm. to Facebook, guys, since 2007. Mm -hmm. And when I joined Facebook, I lived in um, Elephant Island, Antarctica. Oh. And I still live in Elephant Island, Antarctica. <laughs> because Facebook does not need to know where the heck I live. Right. So. And, you know, ever since the 1990s, when I was working um, for a large uh, international organization and, and I was looking at this, the risk of the Internet, I started putting different pieces of information about myself out online. And I didn't realize mm -hmm. it would be a good thing back then, but like different birth dates and different mm -hmm. uh, addresses because I wanted to see how that would impact other things. Mm -hmm. I think um, using salting different areas with incorrect data yes. can also be a good thing. I mean, do you do that, too, in different situations? Oh, yeah. Well, depending on the risk associated with the account, you know, yes. if they don't really need to know my birth date, I will put in a fake birth date, you know, because that's not really relevant to what they're doing. They're, they're, you know, they're saying they want to do it to be nice, wish me a happy birthday and all. No, it's all part of you know, that data collection. Mm -hmm. Most businesses today are really data companies. Look at Facebook. Yeah. People say they're social media. No, they are a data company. How do they make money off of our data? The data that people give them for free. That's how they do it. And then they sell it to advertisers. They use it for you know, data analytics, which is a very popular career field today as well. Um, where 
they may be aggregating your data. So you may also be thinking, well, yeah, I just gave them this piece of information, but it's like putting together a puzzle. Can they put and create the whole picture of who is Rebecca Harold based on different snippets that you provide over time? Mm -hmm. So by salting with fake data, you might be able to trigger that and and be able to detect if someone's misusing your data. Yes, because it, knowing who you gave that to helps you to identify where that source of you know, use of that data is coming from. Well, gosh, we're already coming down to almost the close. What, right. Ron, what is the primary takeaway you want to leave our listeners with today about doing risk management in their lives and at work? So keep in mind just the basic definition of risk. This comes down to a core case of that. Well, we may say likelihood, but I'll put it as frequency of occurrence. Uh, for example, likelihood of a tornado in Iowa, 100%. Yeah. Frequency, um, probably not nearly as high, you know, probably 1%. But so mm -hmm. frequency of occurrence, then what's the worst that can happen? That impact. Running that through your own little internal processor called the brain, um, understanding and then asking questions, why? You know, don't be afraid. Um, and then make it personal. If you see something, say something and stop and think before you take any action. It's really the simple things that prevent most of the breaches. Yes. I, and I, it comes back again, too. I think the risk management part is questioning Yes. why people are asking you for certain types of information or mm -hmm. if you need to actually go out of your way to do a lot more than you really need to do. Like, yes. When you go to the state fair in Nebraska or in Iowa mm -hmm. and they're asking you for your birth date or mm -hmm. your phone number or whatever, and, they, and it's only so you can get a free sample, you know, and yep. Dog. Will you fill out it, the survey? We'll see it with surveys. It'll seem like they're asking for your opinion. No, they really want your data. Just just give them false data. I mean, yeah. that way it doesn't come back to haunt you. So, well, thank you so much for being oh on the pleasure. show today, Ron. It was really, really fun. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. Today, I've been discussing risk management with cybersecurity and privacy expert, Ron Werner. I hope you found the information interesting and or useful. Do you have additional questions you'd like to hear me or perhaps a guest to my show answer? Please send them in. As I said at the beginning of the show, I love getting your questions and I may cover them in an upcoming episode or in my monthly tips or maybe in a blog post or even in one of my upcoming online courses or published books. I've got one I'm working on right now that I need to finally get finished. You can contact me using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. If you cannot make our scheduled debut show each month, why you can listen to all the recordings of all my shows. They're all out there and there there's a lot that I think you would find so interesting to listen to from even my first year with the show. You uh, can also add your following, your bookmark to the voiceamerica.com business channel website and visit my YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor. Until our next show, please ask those you do business with and work for if they're doing all that they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. And also, 
think about your own situation and and look for the risk in just your everyday activities and how you can mitigate those risks. Like, don't throw away your health data into your trash bin and put it next to your <laughs> next to your uh, road to be picked up. Shred it finally first. Back to reference uh, our example at the beginning. Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe. 